Chapter Fifteen of At the Sign of the Jack o' Lantern by Myrtle Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen Treasure Trove. The August moon swung high in the heavens, and the crickets chirped unbearably. The luminous dew lay heavily upon the surrounding fields, and now and then a stray breeze amid the overhanging branches of the trees that lined the roadway aroused in the consciousness of the single wayfarer a feeling closely akin to panic when he reached the summit of the hill he was trembling violently in the dooryard of the jack-o'-lantern he paused it was dark save for a single round window in an upper front room a night lamp turned low gave one leering eye to the grotesque exterior of the house with his heart thumping loudly mr bradford leaned against a tree and divested himself of his shoes from a package under his arm he took out a pair of soft felt slippers the paper rattling loudly as he did so he put them on hesitated then went cautiously up the walk in all my seventy-eight years he thought i have never done anything like this if i had not promised the colonel but a promise to a dying man is sacred especially when he is one's best friend the sound of the key in the lock seemed almost like an explosion of dynamite mr bradford wiped the cold perspiration from his forehead turned the door slowly upon its squeaking hinges and went in feeling like a burglar i am not a burglar he thought his hand shaking i have come to give not to take away fearfully he tiptoed into the parlor expecting at any moment to arouse the house feeling his way carefully along the wall and guided by the moonlight which streamed in at the side windows he came to the wing occupied by mrs holmes and her exuberant offspring here he stooped awkwardly and slipped a sealed and addressed letter under the door heaving a sigh of relief as he got away without having wakened any one the sounds which came from mrs dodd's room were reassuringly suggestive of sleep hastily he slipped another letter under her door then made his way cautiously to the kitchen the missive intended for mrs smithers was left on the doormat outside for as mr bradford well knew the ears of the handmaiden were uncomfortably keen at the foot of the stairs he hesitated again but by the time he reached the top his heart had ceased to beat audibly he tiptoed down the corridor to uncle israel's room then further on to dick's the letter intended for mr perkins was slipped under elaine's door mr bradford not being aware that the poet had changed his room having safely accomplished his last errand the tension relaxed and he went downstairs with more assurance his pace being unduly hastened by a subdued howl from one of the twins bidding himself to be calm he got to the front door and drew a long breath of relief as he closed it noiselessly there was a light in mrs holmes room now and mr bradford did not wish to linger he gathered up his shoes and fairly ran downhill arriving at his office much shaken in mind and body 
nearly two hours after he had started. "'I do not know,' he said to himself, "'why the Colonel should have been so particular as to the dates and hours, but he knew his own business best.' Then, further in accordance with his instructions, he burned a number of letters, which could not be delivered personally. If Mr. Bradford could have seen the company, which met at the breakfast-table the following morning, he would have been amply repaid for his supreme effort of the night before, had he been blessed with any sense of humour at all. The cars were untroubled, and Elaine appeared as usual, except for her haughty indifference to Mr. Perkins. She thought he had written a letter to himself and slipped it under her door in order to compel her to speak to him, but she had tactfully avoided that difficulty by leaving it on his own threshold. Dick's eyes were dancing, and at intervals his mirth bubbled over, needlessly as everyone else appeared to think. "'I doesn't know what folks finds to laugh at,' remarked Mrs. Smithers, as she brought in the coffee. "'That's what it doesn't. It's a solemn time, I take it. When the sheeted spectres of the dead walks abroad by night, that's what it is. It's time for folks to be thinking about their immortal souls. This enigmatical utterance produced a startling effect. Mr. Perkins turned a pale green and hastily excused himself, his breakfast wholly untouched. Mrs. Holmes dropped her fork and recovered it in evident confusion. Mrs. Dodd's face was a bright scarlet and appeared about to burst, but she kept her lips compressed into a thin, tight line. Uncle Israel nodded over his pre-digested food. Just so, he mumbled, a solemn time. Eagerly watching for an opportunity, Mrs. Holmes dived into the barn and emerged cautiously with the spade concealed under her skirts. She carried it into her own apartment and hid it under Willie's bed. Mrs. Smithers went to look for it a little later, and, discovering that it was unaccountably missing, excavated her own private spade from beneath the hay. During the afternoon, the poet was observed lashing the fire-shovel to the other end of a decrepit rake. Uncle Israel, after a fruitless search on the premises, actually went to town and came back with a bulky and awkward parcel, which he hid in the shrubbery. Meanwhile, Willie had gone whimpering to Mrs. Dodd, who was in serious trouble of her own. "'I'm afraid,' he admitted when closely questioned. "'Afraid of what?' demanded his counsellor sharply. "'I'm afraid of Ma,' sobbed Willie. "'She's going to bury me. She's got the spade hand under my bed now.' Sudden emotion completely changed Mrs. Dodd's countenance. "'There, there, Willie,' she said, stroking him kindly. "'Where is your ma?' "'She's out in the orchard with Ebby and Rebby. "'Well, now, dearie, don't you say nothing at all to your ma, "'and we'll fool her. "'The idea of bearing a nice little boy like you. "'You just go and get me that spade, and I'll hide it in my room. "'Then when your ma asks for it, you don't know nothing about it. "'See?' "'Willie's troubled face brightened, "'and presently the implement was under Mrs. Dodd's own bed, "'and her door locked.' Much relieved in his mind, and cherishing kindly sentiments toward his benefactor, Willie slid down the banisters, unrebuked, the rest of the afternoon. Meanwhile, Mrs. Dodd sat on the porch and meditated. "'I'd never have thought,' she said to herself, "'that Ebenezer would intend that Holmes woman to have any of it.' 
but you never can tell what folks'll do when their minds gets to failin at the end ebenezer's mind must have failed dreadful for i know he didn't make no promise to her same as he did to me and if she don't suspect nothin what did she go and get the spade for dreadful likely hand it is for spirit writin looking about furtively to make sure that she was not observed mrs dodd drew out the mysterious recesses of her garments the crumpled communication of the night before it was dated heaven august twelfth and the penmanship was uncle ebenezer's to the life dear belinda it read i find myself at the last moment obliged to change my plans if you will go to the orchard at exactly twelve o'clock on the night of august thirteenth you will find there what you seek go straight ahead to the ninth row of apple trees then seven trees to the left a cat skull hangs from the lower branch if it hasn't blown down or been taken away dig here and you will find a tin box containing what i have always meant you to have i charge you by all you hold sacred to obey these directions in every particular and unless you want to lose it all to say nothing about it to anyone who may be in the house i am sorry to put you to this inconvenience but the limitations of the spirit world cannot well be explained to mortals i hope you will make a wise use of the money and not spend it all on clothes as women are apt to do in conclusion let me say that i am very happy in heaven though it is considerably more quiet than any place i ever lived in before i have met a great many friends here but no relatives except my wife farewell as i shall probably never see you again yours ebenezer judson p s all your previous husbands are here in the sunny section set aside for martyrs none of them give you a good reputation e j down it be all muttered mrs dodd to herself excitedly here was ebenezer at my door last night and i never knowed it sakes alive if i had knowed it i wouldn't have slept like i did here comes that holmes hussy wonder what she knows do you believe in spirits mrs dodd inquired mrs holmes in a careless tone that did not deceive her listener depends returned the other with an evident distaste for the subject do you believe spirits can walk i ain't never seen no spirits walk but i've seen folks try to walk that was full of spirits and there wa'n't no visible improvement in their steppin this was a pleasant allusion to the departed mr holmes who was currently said to have drunk himself to death a scarlet flush which mounted to the roots of mrs holmes hair indicated that the shot had told and mrs dodd went to her own room where she carefully locked herself in she was determined to sit upon her precious spade until midnight if it were necessary to keep it mrs smithers was sitting up in bed with the cold perspiration oozing from every pore when the kitchen clock struck twelve sharp quick strokes the other clock in the house took up the echo and made merry with it the grandfather's clock in the hall was the last to strike and the twelve deep-toned notes boomed a solemn warning which to more than one quaking listener bore a strong suggestion of another world an uncanny world at that guess i'll go along 
said Dick to himself, yawning and stretching. I might just as well see the fun. Mrs. Smithers, with her private spade and her odorous lantern, was at the spot first, closely seconded by Mrs. Dodd, in a voluminous garment of red flannel, which had seen all of its best days and not a few of its worst. Trembling from head to foot came Mrs. Holmes, carrying a pair of shears, which she had snatched up at the last moment when she discovered the spade was missing. Mr. Perkins, fully garbed, appeared with his improvised shovel. Uncle Israel, in his piebald dressing-gown, tottered along in the rear, bearing his spade, still unwrapped, his bedroom candle, and a box of matches. Dick surveyed the scene from a safe, shadowy distance, and on a branch near the skull, Claudius Tiberius was stretched at full length, purring with a loud, resonant purr, which could be heard from afar. After the first shock of surprise, which was especially keen on the part of Mrs. Dodd, when she saw Uncle Israel in the company, Mrs. Smithers broke the silence. "'It's nothing more nor a wild goose chase,' she said resentfully. "'A getting us all out in our beds at this time o' night. "'It's a suffering and dying shame, that's what it is, "'and its spirits was like other folks. "'Twouldn't have happened.' "'Sarah,' said Mrs. Dodd firmly, "'keep your mouth shut. "'Israel, will you dig?' "'We'll all dig,' said Mrs. Holmes, in the voice of authority, and thereafter the dirt flew briskly enough, accompanied by the laboured breathing of perspiring humanity. It was Uncle Israel's spade that first touched the box, and with a cry of delight he stooped for it, as did everybody else. By sheer force of muscle Mrs. Dodd got it away from him. "'This wrangle,' sighed Mr. Perkins, "'is both unseemly and sordid. Let us all agree to abide—' "'by dear Uncle Ebenezer's last bequests.' "'There won't be no desire not to abide by em, snorted Mrs. Smithers. "'What with cats as can't stay buried "'and sheeted spectres of the dead a-walking through the house by night.' "'By this time Mrs. Dodd had the box open, "'and a cry of astonishment broke from her lips. "'Several heads were badly bumped in the effort to peep into the box, "'and an unprotected sneeze from Uncle Israel added to the general unpleasantness.' "'You can all go away,' cried Mrs. Dodd shrilly. "'There's two one-dollar bills here, two quarters and two nickels, and eight pennies. "'Tain't nothing left to be fit over.' "'But the letter,' suggested Mr. Perkins hopefully, "'is there not a letter from dear Uncle Ebenezer? "'Let us gather around the box in a reverent spirit "'and listen to dear Uncle Ebenezer's last words.' "'You can read em, snapped Mrs. Holmes. "'if you're set on hearing.' Uncle Israel wheezed so loudly that for the moment he drowned the deep purr of Claudius Tiberius. When quiet was restored, Mr. Perkins broke the seal of the envelope and unfolded the communication within. Uncle Israel held the dripping candle on one side and Mrs. Smithers the smoking lantern on the other. While nearby, Dick watched the midnight assembly with an unholy glee which, in spite of his efforts, nearly became audible. "'How beautiful,' said Mr. Perkins. "'To think that dear Uncle Ebenezer's last words should be given to us in this unexpected but original way.' "'Shut up,' said Mrs. Smithers emphatically, "'and read them last words. I'm getting the pneumonia now. That's what I am.' "'You're the only one.' chirped Mrs. Dodd hysterically. "'The money in this here box is all old.' "'It was indeed,' 
Mr. Judson seemed to have purposely chosen, ragged bills and coins worn smooth. "'Dear relations,' began Mr. Perkins, "'as every one of you have at one time or another routed me out of bed to let you in when you have come to my house on the night train and always uninvited—' "'I never did,' interrupted Mrs. Holmes. "'I always came in the daytime.' "'Nobody ain't come at night,' explained Mrs. Smithers, "'since he fixed the house over into a face. "'One female fainted dead away when her started up the hill "'and see it a-winkin' at her. "'Yes, sir, that's what her did.' "'It seems only fitting and appropriate,' continued Mr. Perkins, "'that you should all see how it seems.' "'The poet wiped his massive brow with his soiled handkerchief. "'Dear uncle,' he commented. "'Yes,' wheezed Uncle Israel. "'Dear uncle, damn his stingy old soul,' he added with uncalled-for emphasis. "'It gives me pleasure to explain in this fashion my disposal of my estate,' the reader went on huskily. "'Of all the connection on both sides, there is only one that has never been to see me, unless I've forgotten some, and that is my beloved nephew, James Harlan Carr.' Huh, creaked Uncle Israel him as never see ebenezer he has never continued the poet with difficulty rung my doorbell at night nor eaten me out of house and home nor written begging letters this phrase was well nigh inaudible nor had fits on me there was a pause and all eyes were fastened upon uncle israel twasn't a fit he screamed it was an involuntary spasm brought on by taking two certain medicines too near together. Twant a fit. Nor children. The idea, snapped Mrs. Holmes. Poor little Ebby and Rebby had to be born somewhere. Nor paralysis. That was Cousin Sam Martin, said Mrs. Dodd half to herself. He was took bad with it in the night. He has never come to spend Christmas with me, and remained until the ensuing dog-days, nor sent me a crayon portrait of himself. Mr. Perkins faltered here, but nobly went on. Nor had typhoid fever, nor finished up his tuberculosis, nor cut his teeth, nor set the house on fire with a bath cabinet. At this juncture Uncle Israel was so overcome with violent emotion that it was some time before the reading could proceed. "'Never having come into any kind of relations with my dear nephew James Harlan Carr,' continued Mr. Perkins in troubled tones, "'I have shown my gratitude in this humble way. "'To him I give the house and all my furniture, "'my books and personal effects of every kind, "'my farm in Hill County, two thousand acres, "'all improved and clear of encumbrance except blooded stock.' "'I never knowed he had no farm.' interrupted Mrs. Smithers, and ten thousand and eighty-four dollars in the city bank, which at this writing is there to my credit, but will be duly transferred, and my dear Rebecca's diamond pin to be given to my beloved nephew's wife when he marries. It is all in my will, which my dear friend Jeremiah Bradford has, and which he will read at the proper time to those concerned. The old snake! shrieked Mrs. Holmes. Further, went on the poet, almost past speech by this time, I direct that the remainder of my estate, which is here in this box, shall be divided as follows. 
eight cents each to that loafer Cy Martin, his lazy wife, and their eight badly brought-up children, with instructions to be generous to any additions to said children through matrimony or natural causes. Fanny Wood, and that poor, white-livered creature she married, thereby proving her own idiocy, if it needed proof. Uncle James, cross-eyed third wife, and her two silly daughters, Rebecca's sister's scoundrelly second husband, with his foolish wife and their little boy with a face like a pug-dog, Uncle Jason, who has needed a bath ever since I knew him, I want he should spend his legacy for soap, and his epileptic stepson, whose name I forget, though he lived with me five years hand-running, lying Sally Simmons and her half-witted daughter, that old hen Belinda Dodd, that skunk Harold Vernon Perkins, who never did a stroke of honest work in all his life till he began to dig for this box, monkey-faced Lucretia and the four thieving little Riley children, who are likely to get into prison when they grow up, that human undertaker's wagon, Betsy Skiles, and her two impudent nieces, that grand old perambulating drug store, Israel Skiles, that Holmes fool with the three reprints of her ugliness, eight cents apiece, and may you get all possible good out of it. Dick Chester, however, having always paid his board and tried to be a help to me in several small ways, and in spite of having lived with me eight summers or more without having been asked to do so, gets $2,250, which is deposited for him in the savings department of the Metropolitan Bank, plus the $370 he paid me for board without my asking him for it. Sarah Smithers being in the main a good woman, though sharp-tongued at times, and having been faithful all the time my house has been full of low-down cusses too lazy to work for their living, gets $1,250, which is in the same bank as Dick's. The rest of you take your eight cents apiece and be damned. You can get the money changed at the store. If any have been left out, it is my desire that those remembers should divide with the unfortunate. If you had not all claimed to be Rebecca's relatives, you would have been kicked out of my house years ago. But since writing this, I have seen Rebecca and made it right with her. It was not her desire that I should be imposed upon. Get out of my house, every one of you, before noon tomorrow, and the devil has my sincere sympathy when you go to live with him and make hell what you have made my house ever since Rebecca's death. Get out! Ebenezer Judson. The letter was badly written and incoherent, yet there could be no doubt of its meaning, nor of the state of mind in which it had been penned. For a moment there was a tense silence. Then Mrs. Dodd tittered hysterically. We thought diamonds was going to be trumps, she observed, and it turned out to be spades. Uncle Israel wheezed again, and Mrs. Smithers smacked her lips with intense satisfaction. Mrs. Holmes was pale with anger, and under cover of night, Dick sneaked back to his room, shamefaced yet happy. Claudius Tiberius still purred, sticking his claws into the bark with every evidence of pleasure. "'I do not know,' said Mr. Perkins sadly, running his fingers through his mane, "'whether we are obliged to take as final these vagaries of a dying man.' 
dear uncle ebenezer could not have been sane when he penned this cruel letter i do not believe it was his desire to have any of us go away before the usual time under cover of these forgiving sentiments he pocketed all the money in the box me neither said mrs dodd anyhow i'm going to stay no sheeted spectre can scare me away from a place i've always stayed in summers especially she added sarcastically when i'm remembered in the will mrs smithers clucked disagreeably and went back to the house uncle israel looked after her with dismay do you suppose he queried in falsetto that she'll tell the cars hush israel replied mrs dodd she can't tell them cars about our diggin all night in the orchard cause she was here herself they didn't get no spirit communication and they won't suspect nothin we'll just stay where we be and go ons if nothin happened indeed this seemed the wisest plan and shivering with the cold the baffled ones filed back to the jack-o'-lantern how did you get out israel whispered mrs dodd as they approached the house the old man snickered it was the only moment of the evening he had thoroughly enjoyed the same spirit that give me this letter belinda he returned pleasantly also give me a key you didn't think i had no flying machine did you humph grunted mrs dodd spirits don't carry no keys at the threshold they paused the sensitive poet quite unstrung by the night's adventure from the depths of the jack-o'-lantern came a shrill infantile cry is that abby asked mrs dodd or rebby mrs holmes turned upon her with suppressed fury don't you ever dare to allude to my children in that manner again she commanded hoarsely what is their names quavered uncle israel lighting his candle their names returned mrs holmes with a vast accession of dignity are gladys gwendolyn and algernon paul good night just before dawn a sheeted spectre appeared at the side of serious smithers bed and swore the trembling woman to secrecy it was long past sunrise before the frightened handmaid came to her senses enough to recall that the voice of the apparition had been strangely like mrs dodd's End of chapter 15